Will you please make your way with me in your Bibles this morning to the 28th chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew, where we are going to be looking together at verses 1 through 10. Matthew 28, 1 through 10, you can find that passage on page 979 in your pew Bibles. This morning we are going to be looking at one of the gospel resurrection accounts, the one that is, of course, found here in the gospel according to Matthew. And we're going to be considering at least some of the glory that was displayed on that particular day in history, the day that we are, of course, celebrating and remembering this morning. We of all people truly have reason to worship on this day, to sing out praises joyfully to Almighty God, as we celebrate this day that we have come to in the church, even in the world for that matter, to recognize as Easter or as Resurrection Sunday. It is that day that we celebrate together as the Church of Jesus Christ, the empty tomb that was discovered by Mary and some of the women who went with her as they sought to properly anoint the dead body of their beloved Master, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is, and it rightfully should be, a true celebration amongst the people of God. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is one of those truths that really does sit at the very foundation of the Christian faith. There is no life in Christ without the reality of his resurrection. It, along with the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, has received special attention in all four of the gospel accounts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of them, make certain to paint a very clear picture for their readers that though Jesus of Nazareth did in fact die, that he also absolutely arose from the grave triumphant over sin, death, and all the power of the devil. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the seal of the great work of redemption which he came to this world to carry out. It carries tremendous benefits for us who have been changed by the word of the gospel, those of us whose hearts have been transformed by the word of God through the work of the Holy Spirit. By his resurrection... We know that indeed Jesus Christ truly overcame death. The death he had to die in order to ever make us partakers of his righteousness. Death could not hold him. He arose triumphant over death. Beloved, by his glorious resurrection, Jesus Christ has also raised us up to newness of life. We who were dead in our sins and trespasses, we have been made alive through union with Him by faith. Faith that God graciously gives. He has raised us up above the inevitability of death. And we now live eternally in Him. We live because He lives. We rise because He has risen. The Apostle Paul said it this way in the 6th chapter of his epistle to the Romans. He says, Therefore, we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, 
even so we also should walk in newness of life. Because Jesus has risen from the dead, we also have what our own Heidelberg Catechism in question number 45 describes as a sure pledge of our own blessed resurrection. Because Jesus Christ arose, because he lives in his resurrected body at the right hand of the Father of glory, we know that we too will one day in our resurrected bodies join him in the glory and the majesty of heaven where we will worship the Lamb upon his throne. For eternity. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was the crowning proof that he had fully satisfied the entire debt that he came in order to pay for us. The proof that indeed the work of redemption was finished. He had once and for all won the battle which he came to fight in order to save those who belonged to him from the just deserts of our sin and reconcile us sinners to a holy God. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that truly is our confidence that he has indeed won the battle for us. Yes, brothers and sisters in Christ, we have very much to celebrate on this day that we remember the glorious resurrection of our Lord. But the truth is we should remember it every single Lord's Day. Indeed, we should remember it every day of our lives. This morning, I'd like to look together at the narrative of the resurrection found in the text before us here in Matthew. And I'd like to point out to you this morning four things from Matthew's account of the resurrection. And actually, I would tell you these four things are present in every account of uh, every gospel account of the resurrection. But four things that we learn here about Almighty God and about ourselves, which are clearly illustrated for us in the wonderful resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'd like you to follow along with me this morning as I read from the Word of God, Matthew 28. Again, I will read verses 1 through 10. Hear now the Word of our Lord. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to draw, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you so. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and with great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, Rejoice! So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. 
This is the word of our Lord. May he always bless the reading of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we're grateful this morning for the opportunity that we have as a part of our worship to come before your word. I pray, Father, that you would clear our hearts and our minds of the many, many things that distract us. I pray that regardless of our circumstance this morning, we could give our full attention to the wonderful word of God, that we might be transformed by these words through the power of your spirit and live more and more for your glory and your glory alone. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, beloved, I think the first thing that we see displayed immediately in this narrative of the resurrection is the overwhelming power of Almighty God over all of creation. It almost doesn't even need pointing out, does it? We are told that this is the first day of the week. It's for this very reason that we as Christians celebrate the Sabbath, or really the Lord's Day, on Sunday as opposed to Saturday. It was on the first day of the week that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. It was the first day of the week. It was Sunday, and these women were making their way towards the tomb of Jesus. And they were bringing with them spices and all of the things that they would need to properly anoint his body and make final preparations for his burial. We know that it was very early in the morning. And we know from some of the other accounts that even as these women were making their way towards the tomb of the one whom they had so loved, they were fretting over how it would be that they would even be able to move the rather large stone that had been rolled into place over the entrance into the tomb. And as they arrive, we are told there was a great earthquake. The very ground beneath their feet began to tremble. And we are told there was also an angel of the Lord who had descended from heaven and had rolled back the stone from the mouth of the tomb. Now just try and imagine for a moment the glory that surrounded these women as they walked up upon this incredible scene. And I want you to think about what was going on as they approached what they believed to be the final resting place of the body of Jesus of Nazareth. This is where I say we see the power immediately. The very Nature, the creation itself, was reacting to this pivotal pivotal moment in the history of mankind. The earth shakes. The ground trembles as the one who came to pay the penalty for his bride, the one who came to end the curse and throw down the dominion of sin, completes his work rises victorious over death after three days, just as he said that he would. The earth shakes and trembles at the resurrection of the God-man as he defeats sin, death, and the devil for eternity. Beloved, it really is an amazing moment in history to behold. 
Jesus has arisen from the grave. He's now triumphant over even death, death itself. He's taken away the very bite, the sting of death, and now he lives, we are told in the word of God. He lives to give life to his sheep, to you and I. And as if the reaction of the earth itself were not enough, an angel from heaven descends to the earth to roll away the stone so that he can speak to these who we would say are the most blessed of women. We know that Jesus Christ, of course, did not need the help of an angel in order to escape the confines of the grave, but he came to surround this monumental scene in the history of mankind with even more fantastic and supernatural signs and wonders. He came, beloved, for our benefit. You really do get a sense here of just how much you and I are cared for by Almighty God, do you not? It's like the scene we find surrounding the death of Jesus. When Jesus dies, the creation itself has a reaction to that death. Nature itself begins to to rumble. It begins to, to come apart at the seams. This angel came to help chase away the unwarranted fears of the sheep. Those who think that their only source and their only comfort Their only source of comfort in life now is the actual physical body of Jesus. This angel came to tell them the glorious truth that it is the absence of his body on this scene that truly ought to fill them with relief, with a sense of awe, and with unspeakable joy. Beloved, do you see that here? It is the empty grave that should have flooded these women with comfort and relief and very real, very tangible joy. And beloved, it should fill us with comfort and relief and joy as well because because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the work of salvation is complete. And just as the grave was not able to hold the body of Jesus for even a second longer than the allotted time, So the grave will not hold us a second longer than the time that has been appointed by Almighty God. Because Jesus has risen, you and I have a sure pledge pledge that we too will be raised as well on that day when he comes again in glory with power, with his reaping angels to make final separation of the wheat and the chaff as he gathers the wheat of God into the barn of God. This scene absolutely radiates the power of Almighty God as he controls the universe and everything contained within it. The universe that he spoke into existence with but a word from his mouth. Moving all things, moving heaven and earth towards the completion of his most perfect will. Even the angel himself is a sight to behold. We are told that his countenance was like lightning. His clothing white as snow. 
The resurrection of Jesus Christ displayed the magnificent power of God to the world that surrounded it. And the very creation itself reacted to his sovereign majesty. Is this the God you serve this morning? Is this the God you celebrate? The second thing I would point out to you here is the reaction of those who are of the world to this awesome display of the power of Almighty God. Do you notice that? There's a contrast. We see it often in the Gospels. The guards who were posted in front of the tomb in order to guard the tomb of Jesus Christ, they too felt the earthquake. Earthquake. They saw the magnificence of this angel of the Lord. And we are told they shook in fear and dread. They became as dead men before the glory of God. Keep in mind, these were not ordinary men. These were battle-hardened Roman soldiers. Trained warriors of the great Roman Empire. Fear was not something that they were easily unsettled by. They were fearful, certainly, of failure of the task that had been set before them. They were afraid of repercussions that undoubtedly would await them if they were to fail at the seemingly simple task of keeping the frightened, weak, cowardly disciples from working any deception at all concerning the body of Christ. It's safe to say they were probably even expecting to have some trouble. But at the mere sight of this angel, at feeling the very earth beneath their feet begin to tremble, at the notion that Christ was no longer in the tomb, these sturdy, hardened warriors of the great Roman Empire were instantly reduced to sniveling, shaking, scared little men. And we need to see something in that fact. This is the natural result when it comes into, when the natural result of the world when it comes into even just a glimpse, even a dim, flickering, little reflection of the true power of Almighty God, such as this display of power and glory that surrounded the Lord's resurrection. This is the reaction of the world. They quake. In fear. They tremble as they experience the very definition, the essence of fear itself, and rightly so. Think for just a moment about what it will be like to be found outside of those who are covered by the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only here at his resurrection, but even and especially when he comes again. And finality. And just if you are able, begin to wrap your mind around the terror that filled these soldiers and, and indeed will fill all of those who are the sworn enemies of God when He comes again. Terrifying in His wrath and His glory. His foes will fall at His feet. But His children. Those who belong to him, those who have been purchased by him, need have no fear. Beloved, do you believe that this morning as we celebrate the resurrection? It's a resurrection of power. 
His children need have no fear. Death has lost its sting. Satan has been rendered ultimately powerless at this defeat. Though he still annoys, he certainly still frustrates even the people of God, he ultimately is powerless to defeat the triumphant, resurrected Savior and those whom he has purchased with his blood. The foes of Jesus Christ, both now and then, have very good reason to tremble in fear according to the word of God. This frightening scene here at the tomb of Jesus is a picture of what's coming again on a much larger scale. You think of the day when Jesus comes again in glory to judge the world. We're told that the the trumpet will sound in the heavens, there will be a shout of the archangel, and Jesus will return to judge the world, to collect those who are part of his glorious bride, to cast the rest into the fires of hell. What will the ungodly, all of those who have rejected the glorious message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, those whose hearts have remained hard as stone towards the word of God, what will they do on that day? When they see the dead rising from their graves, being joined to the Lord in the air, how they will shake on that day when they can no longer through their vaulted human wisdom, deny the existence of a God who has come to judge them. When they see Jesus not as the Christian Savior, but as the judge of heaven and earth. Can you imagine the terror of the world in that day? And beloved, I pray that even getting a glimpse of the fear that overcomes these these mighty men of Caesar's army as they come into contact with but really a minuscule reflection of the true power and glory of the sovereign God of the universe. That we are led to think beyond this day, beyond this moment, beyond this circumstance, beyond this life, to what indeed lies on the other side of it. And that we too would praise God if we are those who eagerly anticipate that day with joy, And anticipation, as we say in our Lord's Supper liturgy, with uplifted heads. As those who do not have to dread it. What will be one man's joy on that day most certainly will be the stuff of another's nightmares. And so we rightly ought to live in this life eagerly shining forth the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ into the darkness of this world. The third thing I would point out here is the very noticeable difference between these soldiers and their fears in comparison with the fears of these grief-stricken women. Something happens here that's interesting to note. Do you see a difference between the two? Beloved, I think it's comforting to see this. Those women are also afraid. They see the angel They're very much afraid of what they're looking at. But look at the angel's response to their fears. He doesn't help the soldiers off the ground and say, Oh, come, come, come now. Don't be like dead men. Rise up. Everything's going to be okay. He doesn't even address them. He only addresses these women's fears as being the fears that are unfounded. Do you notice that? 
He says in verse 5, But the angel answered and said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know you seek Jesus who was crucified. The soldiers were very right to be afraid of what they were witnessing. The terror that filled their hearts, that left them as dead men, was grounded in absolute reality. And he says nothing to them in order to comfort them. He says nothing to them in order to alleviate their fears. But he turns to these women and he lovingly tells them, the day for fear is over. It's past. The Jesus whom they sought is no longer in the tomb. He has now taken the reason for fear itself away. He has risen. These words of the angel were not only to cheer the hearts of these women, but to cheer all believers, beloved. Until that day when Jesus comes again. He invites them into the tomb to look upon the place where Jesus had once lain, to witness the empty grave clothes. To realize that because the body of Jesus Christ was no longer there in the tomb, that they of all people no longer needed to live a single day of their lives in fear. Because their salvation was now complete. Beloved, do you see that this morning? Do you recognize the folly of living in fear and anxiety if you are a true child of God? If you are living on this side of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the resurrection in power? Whatever becomes of this world, we who truly belong to Jesus as these women do, we have nothing to fear. Beloved, do you believe that? Is that theoretical for you? Is that something that one day, in eternity, I'll no longer have to deal with fear? Or do you believe Jesus died and rose again to take away your fears today? Ask yourself, what do you find yourself anxious about, even this morning? Listen to the word of God and understand that the battle of all battles has already been fought. It's already been completed and Jesus Christ alone has risen from the dust of that battle. He alone has risen. He paid the price in full. He has completed the satisfaction of the law. He even suffered the full penalty of our law breaking in our place. He was our substitute now. He has risen from the dead. He has ascended to the right hand of the Father in glory where we are told in the word of God he is continually interceding for the life of his church. For your life. For my life. He is actively interceding sanctifying our works, sanctifying our prayers, our thoughts, our deeds before the Father because he has risen. And so I ask you this morning, what are you afraid of? Your health? Do you fear death? The bite of death is gone. Death has lost its sting. For the people of God, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is our sure pledge that we too will be resurrected. 
That we too will be joined to our master. That we too will worship him in the glory of heaven in glorified bodies forever, for eternity. So how is it that we could or would still fear death? If you are the child of God, what is there to be afraid of now that Jesus Christ has risen? The angel comforts these women with words that are both a comfort to them and ought to be a comfort to us. The love of God being ever so evident in this angel's mere presence at this scene. He tells the women to go quickly and find his disciples and tell them that Jesus has indeed risen from the grave, that death itself could not hold him. And then Jesus himself will go before them into Galilee where he will show himself to them all. And so the women rise up. They leave still hanging on to some lingering fears about everything they had seen. Yet we're told they are filled with joy at even the thought of reuniting with their Lord. How much does God love his children? Well, even as these women are on their way to find the disciples, they are stopped in the road by Jesus who upon showing himself to them tells them quite simply, rejoice. Rejoice. Praise God. Be filled with joy. And the women are overwhelmed to see their Lord and they fall at his feet and we're told that they they begin to worship him. And as they worship, Jesus speaks words of love and encouragement to them. It brings me to my final point that we need to consider on this beautiful resurrection morning. In the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we see the very power of God displayed as he exercises his dominion over this vast universe and everything contained within it. The natural forces and the power of this world simply fizzle and they fade when in the presence of the power and the glory and the majesty of Almighty God. We have seen the reaction to this power by the world, by those who, though they think that they do not have to fear God, quickly realize in the presence of his awesome power and majesty that they have every reason in the world to be terrified. There are those who rightly tremble in the presence of even an angel who's but a dim reflection of the magnificence, a mere flickering reflection of the glory and power of Almighty God Himself. We've seen the reaction of those who truly do fear God, even though their faith is weak and imperfect. Their fears are soon quieted. They're put to rest by this gracious messenger. Even the Lord of glory himself in his resurrected body speaks words of love and encouragement to them, setting aside their fears, pointing them to the empty tomb and to the significance that it has for their lives as the very sheep of the great shepherd. Finally, this morning, I think we see here a wonderful picture of the incomprehensible love of Almighty God for his people. And though we rightly marvel at it, Brothers and sisters in Christ, I hope that we are also tremendously comforted by it. Jesus says to these women after calming their fears, after telling them to rejoice at what they were being allowed, what they were privileged to witness, he tells them, go and tell his brethren to go to Galilee where they too will see him. You see what he does there? What he calls his disciples? His brothers. His brethren. It's a term of utmost endearment. In John's account, he says that Jesus said to the women, Go and tell my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. 
He calls them his brothers in the truest sense of the word. Now I want you to think about that for a minute. Think for just a moment about these men whom Jesus in the very midst of his epic triumph over death calls his brothers. They were weak, frail, even a bit cowardly. At the moment of Jesus' trial, they scattered like mice. All of them running for cover, all of them fearing the worst, all of them quickly forgetting every single word of their master. There was the always impetuous Peter, the one who had shining moments of faith and courage mingled with such blatant ignorance regarding his Lord's person and purpose. It was Peter who ventured out into the sea to attempt to walk on top of the water towards his Lord. It was Peter when faced with the threat of the imminent arrest of Jesus who actually drew his sword and cut off the ear of the high priest's servant. It was Peter that rightly confessed before Jesus and the disciples that Jesus Christ was in fact the Christ of Almighty God. But during this particular moment, Peter was undoubtedly hiding his face in shame because while Jesus was being questioned like a common criminal, though having been warned by Jesus that he would indeed deny him three times before the rooster crowed twice, Peter said to the people three times when asked if he was not one of the disciples that had been with Jesus, out of his fear, out of his ignorance, out of his weakness, he said, I never even knew the man. Though these men had repeatedly witnessed their Lord perform miracles, miracles that reason could not account for. Though they had even witnessed him raise someone from the dead, they could not believe what he told them concerning himself on many occasions. That he had in fact come to die. That on the third day he would rise from the dead. Their faith was weak. Even at this crucial hour in the history of mankind, they were off somewhere weeping, trembling, hiding in muddle-headed confusion and fear. They were hiding instead of eagerly awaiting the fruition of their teacher's words. These were weak men. Weak, like you and I. Undoubtedly, we relate to them. And yet, Jesus says to these women, Rejoice, hurry, go get my brother. Tell them I'm coming to see them. Tell them to rejoice at what has taken place. These men had yielded to the fear of man. They had run. They had scattered. They had hid away. They had acted at times if they did not believe anything at all. And yet the triumphant Lord Jesus Christ says, go get my brothers. He loves them as his own. And though their faith is weak, he joyfully increases it. He reveals himself more and more to them and he strengthens their faith. Do you see that? Do you relate to these men? Are you all too aware of your own weakness this morning? As you consider the greatness of Jesus Christ, the love of God given to us, and that even though we were dead in trespasses and sins, even though we are plagued with doubts and worry and fear, Jesus came in order to die and rise again for us, like we are, despite what we know ourselves to truly be.
we are told Jesus sympathizes with our weaknesses. Even though we are weak, we need not be afraid because he is our ever-loving advocate before the Father. He sought to strengthen these disciples even amid incredible weakness, incredible ignorance, their lack of faith. Despite it all, he will joyfully, lovingly strengthen his sheep. Beloved, It should fill your heart with hope this morning if you are even remotely aware of just how frail you truly are. Who loves like Jesus loves? And think about what he does for these men as a result of his deep abiding love for them, as a result of his glorious powerful resurrection, he builds the church of Jesus Christ on the backs of these very men. These men who were once weak, terrified, ignorant. They leave the ascension of Jesus Christ to the right hand of the Father in glory and they receive the promised gift of the Holy Spirit and they are never, ever the same. God will use them for his glory despite even through their weaknesses, their flaws, their cracks. They will go on and walk headlong to their own deaths for the cause of lifting the eyes of many towards the gospel of Jesus Christ. Magnifying his name above all the earth. They fall victims to tremendous suffering and persecution because they refuse to keep silent this wonderful message of hope. They're no longer the picture of weakness and ignorance, but because of the Lord's resurrection, because he strengthens their faith, because he so deeply loves his sheep, these men go on to be used by God to build the church of Jesus Christ for his glory. Beloved, as we go from here, As we move on with the rest of our day, with the rest of our week, I urge you to spend some time today in the coming days considering this glorious work of the resurrection of Jesus and ask yourself, truly, what worries, what fears must I cling to because Jesus Christ lives? He's calling you to do so, to cling to him by faith. That you will be a great shining bright light for his glory in the darkness of this world. Because he lives, you live. Because he loves, you love. Beloved, live in love as one who has been given the precious gift of powerful, joyful, resurrected life in Jesus Christ. Despite being dead in our own sin. The resurrection proves that Almighty God loves you as you are and that he will shine forth his glory even and especially through your weaknesses. What love is this? Beloved, it is the love of Almighty God for you. Amen? Let's pray.